welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, how you doing? Well, this is a very relaxed podcast. It sure is. We are, we are both sitting on the floor for this one. Sitting on the floor. We're taking it down to ground level. Exactly. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little grounded today. Um, I'm, I'm in a good mood, David. I, uh, Why is that? Because I just did, a, I did a, a film shoot today, or rather, you know, video, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it's the first thing I've done, really, in like a year and a half. Yeah? And uh, so it's very exciting. Uh, it was with this group of people that I just met, and uh, they decided to go with one of my scripts, and I directed it, and uh, so it was uh, a lot of fun. And where are we going to be able to see that? Funny you should ask. Thank you for uh, <laughs> leading me right into that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, okay, so uh, with, our, um, with the new website, there is a section for video, and uh, we were going to have that be like video questions and answers, and we still want to do that. Yeah, just please, for the love of God... <laughs> Keep sending in those questions. Exactly. See, right now it's just that there's too there's so many to choose from. <laughs> but by all means, do not you know don't stop uh, the the barrage of emails. Yeah. All so right? if you've got anything you'd like to hear us answer, anything, anything at, all, at all, please, please, yeah, don't stop sending in those emails. Keep Ex- them coming. Keep them coming. <laughs> all right. That's what we want to emphasize. Um, but anyway. So what will happen is when, you know, uh, when we decide to uh, answer, because it's really just laziness on our part. When we decide to start answering those, uh, those emails, uh, that will be in a separate section that I think will just be called like Q&A. Right now, uh, our video section, it has uh, two videos on it, but we're going to be putting more on. Uh, right now, there's a video that I made. It's just me doing a monologue, everybody, and it's a ridiculous monologue. You'll see what I'm talking about when you watch it. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. It's best discovered. Um, and then the other is episode one of uh, a film series that uh, your fairly awesome Again, girlfriend. a video series. A video series. A YouTube series. A YouTube series called The Recreation Room that Teresa made, starring, among others, uh, David Bax. Yeah. So, if you, so uh, yeah, if you, if you want an idea of uh, what goes on in Teresa's brain. God help you. Uh, we're going to give it to you. Um, but so on top of that, uh, and then, of course, yes, whenever I finish editing the thing that I that we shot today, that'll be up on there. And then also uh, I want to try and put up uh, some videos of like some of our various guests, like maybe doing stand up, not too many clips, maybe just one yeah. or two. Also, like, for example, Zaljanon yeah, uh, makes a lot of, a lot of short films. A lot so of we'll, star Josh Fadum. So exactly. So that's two birds, two birds one stone. Yeah. And uh, so we'll feature those soon. So if you are interested, uh, you can watch those right on the website. So there you go. Okay. Uh, while we're making announcements, um, we recorded an episode of Experts and Intermediates. Yes, we did. Uh, I don't know. Which I, I think, think we that's mentioned going up. last week. But yeah, um, I think it goes it, up in like oh, in two weeks. I don't think it's up. A, yeah, uh, it right will be now. up. Yeah, but keep uh, keep an eye out for it. It's actually right. two episodes because we are. <laughs> helpless windbags. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it turned into you know, two episodes. That's the thing when you have uh, when you when you have fellow podcasters on your podcast, it's just gonna it. You're begging for trouble. And here's here's what I want you to do, especially when you're assholes like David and myself. Yeah. It, we, okay, so we recorded an episode with Jason, right, from Experts in Intermediates. Yeah. Then we recorded the double length episode of Experts in Intermediates. Right. I want people to listen to all three. Yeah. <laughs> and then send me an email and see if they can pinpoint the exact moment at which I become too drunk. Too drunk. <laughs> see, because that's the thing. It's like, okay, he's he's doing okay, not drunk here, getting drunk, pretty drunk. Uh oh, too drunk. Yeah. All right. Um, I can play. I can play that game too, David. It's a lot of okay. fun for me. Um, I've been playing that one for years, <laughs> um, and it never gets old. But uh, and speaking of, of uh, J- uh, experts and intermediates and Jason Eakin, uh, thanks to him for being on the show, uh, and thanks everybody for writing in. We got a lot of feedback on that show. Yeah. Uh, what I will say, in our you know, in a prime example of uh, failing to see the woods for the trees, we actually left out a couple of podcasts that I would feel remiss in uh, in just you know not mentioning at all. Yeah. Um, one is uh, called Cinema Slave, and he right, actually, yeah. he's, we've mentioned him uh, on the, sh- his, uh, the guy's name is Joe Barlow, uh, he, uh, we've mentioned him on the show before, um, 
but yeah, it's it's a good film podcast. It's kind of segmented, uh, much like et- uh, experts and intermediates or like film spotting and stuff right. like that. Uh, but more like a professional radio program. Uh, yeah, and less <laughs> like this. But uh, but yeah, so that's a good one. You can find it on iTunes. Um, and and that one, it is just it's uh, usually uh, like him talking. So uh, you know. It's li- it's a lot like the forty year old boy, so you might not be ready for it, but it's it's worth it. Just give it a listen. Um, the other one is called the Dork Forest, with uh, comedians uh, Jackie Cation and Joe Wilson. And that's not always; it's only occasionally about movies. It's sometimes about movies, but and which is why we can include it. But it wound up being a much more just a much more I would say epic in its scope uh, podcast than I ever thought it would be. Which basically. Uh, the two hosts will have uh, various friends of theirs on the show to discuss what they call their dorkdom, which is basically because everybody's got something. Now, for yeah. David and myself, it's movies. But for some people, like the exa- we talked to Jackie Cation the other day, the example she gave us was uh, she met somebody who collected unicorns. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and a few years ago, I might have been like, that's ridiculous. But just everybody's got something, yeah. you know. And uh, and it's just it's often a very funny podcast. Josh Fadum has been on there and uh, doing what I will say is the best Walter Matthau impression I have ever heard in my life. It is astounding. Awesome. But uh, so. The, so, yeah, Dork Forest and Cinema Slave, both worth listening to. Uh, I just wanted to mention that. So, Anything else? I think we got the announcements out of the way. Announcements out of the way. Every episode, our announcements become a little... <laughs> That's heavier. all right. Yeah, but that's we inject we inject more of ourselves into them. I think that's the reason why uh, they take up more time. Sure, sure. That's that's my okay. Well, other, I want what I want to talk about something. Okay, well, uh, okay, oh, you go first. All right. Um, you know what? I want to save it to the end. I, I'll I'll put it at the end. It has nothing okay. to do with our topic, but I want to end on the note. So let's go with yours. Okay. Have you seen? I know you have seen. Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for? Harry Potter 6. I Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And the Half-Blood Prince, I have. I could do a whole episode on it. It's such a great... And it's just a teaser. It's, it's just such a teaser. A great trailer. And I like teasers that are more than just like, a, you know, it's a logo and then you hear little bits of dialogue here and there. Like, this is... It's basically a scene. Granted, I'm sure it's probably shortened from the longer scene. Sure, yeah. But man, it is powerful. Yeah. And, and you... I, I, want, I wanted to talk to you about it. I mean, okay. We talked about it. We both agreed that it was awesome. But I wanted yeah. to ask you, because you have never read the books. I've never read the books. Uh, and, I mean, you are certainly not spoiler-free. You know some of the stuff that happens. Right, very much so. But you don't know everything. Uh, I, I, I want to get your impression on the trailer from someone who, because you, you don't know everything that's, ha- that's happening there. You, there's, right. There's no recognition in, there, in it. No. Uh, I mean, I just, I assume it's, a, I mean, you know, you assume it's a flashback because Dumbledore does look younger uh-huh. and just, you know, you're not sure who the kid is, you know. You become very; it becomes very obvious after a while. But and and I remember, you know, you watch it and you think back, and you're like, "Well, Dumbledore did have a history with this kid. Uh-huh. You know, he has a history with with Voldemort." And and I'm excited to see the beginnings of that, you know. And what it reminded me of, as odd as this sounds, uh, I just bought the 25th anniversary of Halloween. Ah. And it reminds me of Donald Pleasant's yeah. uh, relationship to Michael Myers when you know he's a young kid. For some reason, that's the first thing that popped in my brain. But it really, it, it fascinates me. It just seems like the trailer is very uh, Dumbledore heavy, which is good for me because yeah, I like barely in it. Yeah, because you know you know he's going to be in it. But like, and those I'm not going to give away the spoiler. But those who know Book Six know that it is a very strong Dumbledore story, which is exciting for me because I like that character. Yeah, and uh, and the trailer really gives you that that he really plays a big role. So I I'm excited. When do you know when it's coming out? I don't know. Is it this year? Like November, probably. Yeah, that would seem quick. But I mean, I, since they have the same director as the fifth one, they yeah. probably started almost immediately after. Yeah, maybe it's it usually, is this year. Yeah, I I I hope it's this year. Yeah, I really want to see it. I mean, the first two. Yeah, it was one right after the other. So, so uh, that'd be great. Now, what did you? Th- what, now you just said it was awesome. You really liked it. What did you? What did you like about it? Uh, that, the, I mean, the the series just keeps getting more and more grown up as yeah. did the, uh, as did the books. And I mean that, there's no playfulness in this at all. You know, it's clearly you're going to step into the 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 darkest. 
you know, uh, that you've seen so far of this world, you know, and it's, I mean, that's the story of what you're seeing in the trailer. That's the exploration of the dark themes, you know, that's the explanation, the exploration of their roots, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then it has a couple of amazing images like Dumbledore surrounded in, in flame, which is another yeah. thing that I, and everyone else who's read the books know, oh, it's that's that scene, but you have no idea what that is. Like, no, Dumbledore I don't. Surrounded in flame. And, and I don't, that's the thing. I don't want to. That's what yeah. makes it a really great teaser is I look at the, it just, you know, a good teaser should make you be like, oh man, I don't know what that is, but I'm really excited to see that yeah. scene specifically. Um, especially because it really seems to, it kind of parallels. I mean, the the teaser's what a minute long, uh, a minute and twenty nine seconds. Minute, uh, oh, good lord! <laughs> I've man. watched it a number of times. But um, <laughs> but I like that they kind of almost bookend like he's surrounded in flame, and of course earlier when proving to the kid that he's different, he sets that you know curtain on fire or whatever. So even in the trailer, it's just it's kind of. Uh, symmetrical in that way. And yeah. It's just ah, and it 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 gives you hints as to who this young kid is, you know, by showing, I mean, more than just hints, I guess. It yeah. shows you flashes, flashes. Of, of Ray Fiennes as as Voldemort. Yeah. And then at the end, after it goes to black, and you know, he says, you know, did you know? Uh, did I know? I just met the most terrible evil wizard the world had ever seen. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, and it makes me wonder. I mean, I know that I've, uh, I think I've probably said something like this before, but yeah. Richard Harris was great. I really liked him as Dumbledore, but I feel like the direction the character went, I just don't know if he could have done it. I mean, just he's a he was a frail guy. I mean, right. he was very sage, very grandfatherly in the early films, but like given what he was eventually, what he would eventually have been asked to do, I just don't know Physically, if he would have yeah. been convincing. You know. But uh, Michael Gambon, you know, really, I mean, not that he's a young, he's no spring chicken, David. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he really can convey the intensity required. So I'm thrilled to see it. At the very least, uh, I'm excited to see yet another awesome British character actor. Yeah, uh, Jim Broadbent case, Jim is Broadbent. Playing, uh, Horace Slughorn. Yeah. Who, um, I'm glad is that, that a strong character? Uh, it's great for Jim Broadbent. Okay. Uh, I mean, because he's a... I mean, he's kind of a doofus, I yeah. guess. But I mean, more than that, he's more. He's. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to get too much into. Yeah. It. I was. One, I, it was. It's amazing to me that the Harry Potter films have gone five films using well-respected British actors and hadn't gotten to Jim Broadbent yet. Right. And now I'm glad that he's doing Horace Slughorn, although he's not nearly as as uh, fat as Horace Slughorn yeah. is in the book. Well, they've already got Richard Griffiths in another right. part. You know. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Jim Broadman is good at that kind of thing where you, seeming like you've got him all figured out because he's just so silly, you yeah. know. But then, of course, he's got like all these untapped, untapped emotional depths and stuff that eventually come out. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see that character. And uh, all right. So I think uh, that pretty much covers us. You want to? Let's get into it, shall we? All right. So um, now, David. Today is today is August second. This is going to go up August, uh, uh, late August third. So uh-huh. we got an, we've started a new month. Yes. What, so what now? <laughs> uh, to August, borrow a phrase from another podcast. Yeah. August will be music month. Music month here. Um, we thought we were, we were going to do music month in July, but I didn't want music month to clash with Shark Week. Oh so man. Okay. I'm glad everyone. I hope everyone had a great Shark Week. <laughs> and for the next month, you can just chillax <laughs> uh, to, to the tunes of Music Month exactly. on Battleship Retention. Who am I talking to? Uh, yeah, I, uh, Apparently yeah, a guy who says chillax. Yeah, apparently. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I kicked off Shark Week by uh, uh, cursing myself for missing the Mythbusters where they test all the myths from Jaws. Oh. oh. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's Music Month now. Do you want to... Do you want to tell people what's coming up, or do you want to just this week? No, let's, let's say tell this people. Week. Well, okay. okay. So this week, what are we talking about? We are talking about uh, music biopics. Music biopics. Yeah. What about next week? Next week will be, I can't remember, concert films? I think. No, I think next week is musicals. Oh, I thought we were going to end with musicals. Oh, okay. We can do that. Okay. I think Sorry, next, I forgot. Next week is concert films. Next week, concert films. After that, rock docs. Rock docs. 
What is a rock doc, David? It's a documentary about a rock and roll outfit or artist. Outfit. <laughs> um, and then and then we end with musicals. Yeah. Okay, and I feel we should musicals because it's kind of separate. We're doing... It's yeah. going to be like... It's going to be mostly rock and roll for the next three weeks. And then musicals, which are generally not right. rock and roll with some exceptions, obviously. And that's the thing. I mean, I know, I know it's only rock and roll, but I like it, Dave. <laughs> so... Um, Oh man, what have we become? Uh, outfit saying lyrics, um, but well, I'm in lyrics quoting mode after the episode of Experts in Intermediates. We that's, did, yeah, which I absolutely. quoted half the album we were talking about, um, which was handy for me because it's like you know, listeners of that episode will remember like, oh, Tyler's not really speaking up. David says some lyrics, and Tyler responds to those lyrics. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so this week. Musical biopics, there's been a lot of them in the last four years, David. Um, I mean, it's there's kind of become something of a staple around awards season. Um, yeah. You know, and that's... Here's the thing. In watching some of the biopics that I've been watching uh, the last few weeks, uh, this is going to sound weird, because I very seldom come out against a genre or subgenre. Uh-huh. It's not that I'm against biopics. But here's what they often wind up being. They wind up being one of two things. Now, there are some in the middle that are really great. But they often wind up being one where it's like, it's like, oh, man, this artist is pretty mysterious, pretty awesome. We're going to let you in on his life. And then you watch it, and it gives – it doesn't I'm – kind of, I'm kind of okay with it not presuming to give you a motivation uh-huh. for why this guy is how he is. But part of me is like, well, if you're not going to do that – then why am I watching this? You know, okay. I can just, for example, um, I watched The Doors the other day. And aside from the fact that Val Kilmer does an amazing job. I'm a big Val Kilmer fan. I know he was, I, I think he's kind of, to some extent, rehabilitated his image. Yeah. But he was kind of a punchline for a while there. Yeah. And and, and also I, because he's notoriously, I guess, difficult to, to work with. Hmm. Um, from what I've heard, but, yeah, he uh, was in Batman Forever, and then he was in the Island of Doctor Moreau, and then he was in the Saint, and just and he kind of ha- he had a the run ghost there. In the darkness, the Ghost in the Darkness at first sight, which always struck me as a really good concept for a movie, just very poorly executed. I didn't see, but it. Um, but I'm a big fan. Yeah, I, I like you know I remember him back when he was Mad Mardigan um, <laughs> in that horrible movie Willow, but uh, but uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh yeah, and, and Spartan Spartan. Yeah, it's. Uh, but the thing is, I he's great in The Doors, and the movie itself is pretty good. But it doesn't, you know, at first you just feel like that this movie is, it's just praising him so much, praising Jim Morrison so much, that you're just like, all right, so you're not going to attribute any kind of motivation to how he became who he became. It's almost like he just was just kind of willed into existence and had no, you know, had no experiences growing up that led him to decide oh i'm going to experiment with this or that um and i'm going to adopt adopt this philosophy now i um i've never seen the doors okay uh and i'm not really ashamed of that especially not after what you just told me because i didn't realize it was so like lionizing of him but it does it that's the thing it then after a certain point after like after like an hour and a half it then shows like the negative part of what he's doing and then that and then it becomes the second the second category that musical biopics or biopics in general, but I definitely say musical biopics, uh, it falls in the second category, which is like, Hey, is there an artist you really like? Want to find out how much of an asshole he or she is? Right. Here we go. Well, let and, me tell you for a okay. second, uh, just to be a, uh, I guess a bit of a snob here. Okay. I literally don't understand how someone, uh, whose age, like, I don't know, 16 or older can still really like the doors. Yeah. Like that seems like once you're 16, you get your driver's license. Yeah. You can go to the record store yourself and find other music. You don't oh, have yeah. to just depend on whatever has a reputation, you know? And you also are hopefully, at that point, literate enough to not think that Jim Morrison's lyrics are some sort of grand poetry. Right, and the, the movie certainly treats it like that. And I think The Doors are okay. I really like... They do uh, People Are Strange, right? Yeah. I like that they, song. They, yeah, they, they, no, they've, they would... Like a lot of... Uh, bands that uh, I don't know what I'm saying here, but they, I mean, their, their use of blues type riffs was sometimes right. good, but when they would get all weighty and yeah, it's just so pretentious it, and 
it is very much like I mean, honestly, I wrote poetry when I was a teenager and it blew. All right. <laughs> Didn't know it at the time and much but that's the thing. Listening to specific lyrics of the doors, it was a lot like that. Yeah. And then I grew out of it. Yeah. Enough to be like not but that's the thing. I didn't it's not like my poetry grew up. I'm just like, I'm not a good poet. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, enough people told Jim Morrison, you know, as far as the, the movie is concerned, that it's like, oh, those lyrics, man, they're amazing. They're, they're awesome. And just, you know, and people were just fawning over him and stuff. And how, how much of his fame came from the fact that he was an attractive guy who liked to be shirtless? Uh, that seemed to be quite a bit of it. Although a lot of, you know, and that's the thing is, with the movie, you don't know how much of it is Oliver Stone uh, saying, like, oh, you know what? He didn't want that. Like, he's always asking, like, hey, what about the, what about my band? And they're like, nobody wants to see your band. They want to see you, Jim. So, like, <laughs> how, so I don't know how much of it was forced on him or how much he was responsible for. Um, but, yeah, it's it's an okay movie, and, and the tone of it really captures the spirit of the doors, as odd yeah. as that may sound. Like, the completely unsubtle visuals which uh, Oliver Stone is kind of known for right. really matches the tone of the doors um, but great if... performance by I'd say oh, it's sure. worth seeing for, his, for performance. his performance I just wonder I mean I don't know what kind of people listened to the doors back when they were first popular but I wonder if in 20 years we're going to get like some sort of Creed biopic because <laughs> they're about <laughs> equally good I'm sorry I'm shitting all over the doors but I, they're fucking terrible they're better than Creed yeah they're better than Creed okay but, <laughs> yeah I'm just more you heard it here first, folks. The, the doors, doors are better, are better than, than Creed. My ire is sparked more by the fact that they're, they're a band that should be a footnote, uh, hmm. and they're worshipped. Yeah, and uh, and that's the thing is I don't know enough about like classic rock to really know how. I mean, I guess like back when I lived in Missouri and listened to the radio a fair amount, like sure. I guess I heard the Doors quite a bit. You yeah. Know? Um. But uh, but yeah, and so so that's the thing. So because. Musical biopics so often fit into those two categories. I find myself, even some of the better ones, I feel that Walk the Line is a pretty good one. Like, I I find that, like... Now, that's another one that I haven't seen. Did you see Ray? This time, I'm ashamed to admit that I haven't seen it, because I fucking love Johnny Cash. Absolutely. And and this one, it it does, I'd say, a better job of kind of giving him some motivations, showing him how he arrived, where he arrived, musically, emotionally. Uh Um, And that is, uh, I'd say that's probably due in part to uh, Joaquin Phoenix doing a really solid job and Reese Witherspoon doing a really solid job. Um, But, uh, and I think that's, that's, I think that's one of the reasons that Walk the Line uh, is elevated uh, be above some other musical biopics is because it understands that the central relationship in Johnny Cash's life was with June Carter, and it focuses on that. There's plenty of him popping pills and getting clean and all that kind of thing, but because it actually gives us somebody who that has an emotional impact on, aside from the musician himself, it puts us in the position of June Carter, and we wind up caring for this man when, if it was him by himself, if it was Ray, uh-huh. we would just be like, ugh, what a dick, you know? Um, and so I think I think that's what, that's kind of what elevates it, is the filmmakers understood that's like, well, we could go the typical route and have her play very much a supporting role, or we can elevate her to lead status, which is how Johnny Cash saw her. And yeah, that seems... And it's yeah, and great performances. That's another thing. Is like biopics in general. This I'll I'll say, like it's like, hey, I I I'm in the mood to be nominated for an Oscar. I think I'll uh, play a a musician. Let me talk about that for a second. Okay, um, you talk about yeah that it has become sort of awards fodder. Yeah, and um, in a way that kind of bothers me. Yeah. Because but what I said, or that it has become that that it has become that. Okay. Because maybe it's just that I don't want uh, I don't want rock and roll to die, and I think that once institutions are handing out awards for yeah. uh, portrayals of people who should be rebels and outcasts, yeah, uh, it seems like well, one of you you could look you could be you could be optimistic and look at it and say, well, these people made a difference by being rebels, you know they yeah. they prevailed over the status quo, and now they're 
they're they're uh, you know they're respected, which yeah. is a good. Or you could say that the rebellion has been co-opted, which I think is really what's happened. Right? I mean, because that's the thing is, I feel like if you really wanted to pay tribute to a musician you love, you make you, you make yourself a rock doc. And you yeah. kind of let the musician speak for himself. Yeah. Even if he's dead, you can use old footage, old concert footage, as opposed to this is a writer, this is a studio, a writer's, director's, and actor's interpretation of this guy. And, like, that's a lot of filters, you know? And by the time it gets to the screen, you're lucky if it has any semblance to the the spirit of the person that you knew and loved. Yeah. I've, I've talked about, I don't know if I said in the show before, but uh, uh, in... Uh, in direct opposition to the way that most uh, people grow up, the older I get, I listen to more and more heavy metal. Okay, yeah. And I think part of it is that I'm just, I want something that's more abrasive. I, yeah. I, I want, you know, I, I thought I had it when I was in junior high and I discovered punk rock, but then I realized that you can put, you know, you can put Bad Religion songs in a movie trailer and it's going to be right. fine, you know. Right. I And I still listen to a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, I'm not just listening for stuff that's going to make, you know, my mom's ears bleed or whatever, you know. But to a certain extent, that appeals to me. Just listening to, and I mean, it's really good, but, you know, listening to, um, I don't know. I'm not going to act like I know about metal, so I'm not going to okay. name any bands. But I, 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 I like metal, I, and, and it's really, some of it's really good, but a part of me really just likes it because of how many people I know wouldn't like it. And also just, you know, there are certain... I can't think of any metal band or that that would, like, their story or their music would lend themselves to a biopic. Yeah. Documentaries, I'd say, absolutely. But not, you know, where it's like, ooh, this... Where an actor's like, ooh, this will be my opportunity to uh, really get an Oscar or really be respected or anything like that. Yeah. Because... You know the music is yeah. I'm not opposed to heavy metal. I I can't listen to it a lot, uh-huh. but um, and I feel like yeah. I feel like Ray Charles, Johnny Cash, like those people. Uh, those two guys like appeal to I'd say a pretty wide audience. Like the only people that ever that would ever for the amount of money that goes into you know a biopic because you got to make it like you got to make it a period piece and all that kind of thing, and you probably want to cast like a pretty hope a high profile actor. And so for the amount of money that a studio would have to put into it, it's a very niche audience. And so they might not make that money back. So I don't think it would ever happen with true, like a true heavy metal band. But you know what? I mean, 20 years from now, who's to say that metal hasn't been co-opted? Who's to say possibly seeing, you know, the Max Caviero story. Yeah. Um, I don't know who that is. That's the guy from Sepultura. Okay. Um, but, to talk about Ray, um, yeah. you asked me if I've seen it. I have seen it. Okay. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but there's a problem with it. Yeah. In that, see, much like with film or with anything I'm into, I like to get into the history of it. Like, yeah. I, you know, uh, I, li- I like to learn more and see more, or in this case, listen to more older stuff and get a sense of context. Yeah. And... I feel like the, the average audience member isn't gonna, isn't, isn't going to do that, yeah. or isn't going to have done that. So uh, when Ray Charles in that movie starts playing that music and it like offends his girlfriend, he's like, you know, she says it's, you know, and the people are calling it devil music or whatever, yeah. you know. And, I've, and a, a modern audience won't hear that because it's right. been so co-opted. You know, if you listen to it in context, you can feel you can feel the rawness in that kind of music. You know, yeah. uh, and and the abandon and the and the the boldness. And it's really, I mean, it's still really good music. Yeah. Either way, but it's it's better. The more, you, much like any art form, the more you understand about it, the more you are will appreciate it. Yeah. And but that's the sad thing is that I, I think that when he when people are saying that his music is devil music, the average audience member is going, "Who the fuck are these squares back in the fifties? And I, it makes me wonder: was it made in that? Was it made knowing that? Was it made to make you feel that? Like much, you know, much in the same way as like when a character. In a in like a period piece says like oh so and so that'll never happen but it's like oh okay yeah we all know that that yeah. happened but it's very similar is it to, similar to that yeah and and that attitude is very similar to a few weeks ago we talked about people laughing at the style of old seventies movies or whatever as yeah if, yeah as if what happens now is perfect right you know and the thing is there is stuff that offends people now 
you know, Eminem, for example, you yeah. know, or 10 years ago, Marilyn Manson, you yeah. know, and the same things, people need to have some, like, context and have some, some perspective. Yeah. The same thing's eventually going to happen. Well, people are going to think, if you are out there protesting against Eminem, yeah. in 20, 30 years, people are going to think you were a fucking idiot. Yeah, and you actually see stuff like that in The Doors when, um, like, when they do the Ed Sullivan show. Right. And, uh, I know that ba- story. Yeah, least. and backstage, you know. The guy that they have playing the, uh, you know, uh, stage manager or something like that, he comes out and he is so square and he is so ridiculous, you know, just completely over the top. And he's like, instead of girl, we couldn't get much higher. We were thinking of like, girl, we couldn't get much better. And he gives that pretty much that exact type of reading uh-huh. where it's like, ugh. I mean, as if I didn't know already how the, I was supposed to feel, it's very obvious how they want me to feel, you know, and I and I, that, I mean that's what Oliver Stone does. You know? Yeah, very and he's much. Occasionally, so. very very good at it. Yeah, I'm. You know what? I'm excited to see W. I'm excited to watch it. I don't. I'm not going to right now say that I think it's going to be good or not, but I definitely am excited to see it. And that's it has all a he needs. really great cast. Yeah, it really does. And I'm excited. You know, at the, but I'll say this: at the very least, I'm like, oh, Richard Dreyfuss playing Dick Cheney. That's going to be balanced. That's yeah. going to be a uh, yeah. I like, I'm sure Dreyfus is going to be like, so can I get like some devil horns and like, you know, uh-huh. could we, I think that'd be right for my character. Uh, I think Josh Brolin's a great choice too. I think he's, yeah. Um, and, uh, I will, I will explain why by saying why I'm hesitant about James Cromwell's, okay. uh, playing George H.W. Bush. Um, cause I mean, W's father in real life is mm. certainly maybe a little more reserved and a little more refined, Yeah, but he's not. He's not the, like, monument to respect and class that James Cromwell can be, you, you know? Uh, uh, that James Cromwell can be, but he's not always that. Yeah. But if, I yeah. feel like he's always, uh, he always plays a, he, he's a very commanding, respectable yeah. presence. And, yeah. I mean, George H.W. Bush was, you know, in comparison to his son, certainly very well respected. Oh, yes. He, he was occasionally kind of a joke, too. Yeah, and, uh, I mean... Cromwell Maybe once that's played. My liberalness showing no, through. Cromwell once played uh, Lyndon Johnson. I'd say that's a little closer, okay? Because you know he was kind of a, a big guy, but and he's from Texas. And it, there you go. But also, uh, much like, yeah, H-W. I know, but, yeah, okay. Um, but also, like you know, Jeffrey Wright playing Colin Powell, and just it's just a really interesting. I like that. Yeah, that's really strong. It and the fact that it, they cast so many really strong actors that are inherently likable. Yeah, I think is gonna. I'm fascinated to see how this movie turns out. But anyway. That's a, that's another biopic, just not musical. Um, but uh, I'm sure that George W. Bush, at some point in his in his life, had rock and roll dreams. He seems like the type. He seems the like type. the type. Um, probably played guitar for like three weeks, realized right. he wasn't good at it, and broke it. Or could, something. Yeah, he was. Ding 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 ding. That was all he could do. And of course, somebody's like, "Hey, turn it up." Um, <laughs> but uh, that's a Skinner song, everybody. We're from Missouri. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because when I – when you watch something like Walk the Line, uh, I will – we will be bringing up other biopics, but those ones are, I'd say, the most present in the public mind. And it's a good example of what I think is an okay biopic, which is Ray, to what I'd say is a pretty good one, which is uh, uh, Walk the Line. Well, that, what, that one, like, they, they come out and explain why people are offended without condescending to the characters because he was doing new things and his attitude was very different than a lot of, than what a lot of other people were doing. And he was part of like, he was part of a movement that included Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis. And you see like these people like just, you know, drinking and doing all kinds of stuff. And there's this realization that's like, "Mm, nobody in the country scene was doing that at the time. Yeah. And so it really, and it really puts you into the mindset of, the the people who kind of looked down on it and that kind of thing, but it also justified like Johnny Cash's attitude and that kind of thing. It's really, it's really well done in that respect. And what's more is I came away from that, away, like with songs in my head that I didn't that I'd never heard from Johnny Cash. Huh. Um, and so, and I feel like that's a a smart way to play it is it's like, yeah, as it turns out, uh, this musician didn't only have, uh, the seven songs that you're aware of, Uh you know, he had tons of songs, you know, and I feel like Ray and the doors 
play the songs you're familiar with. Oh, um, okay. But uh, well, I want to talk about something you mentioned with Walk the Line. Okay. Which is them focusing, uh, as you explained it, more on the, the front and center is the relationship. It's right. a relationship drama, and one of the person people in the relationship is a musician. Yeah. And that that enters into his life, but it's not the driving force of the film. Right. Uh, I want to talk about a great movie called Control. Control. That's I I, I had it in my hand yesterday, and I was going to watch it, but I knew I wouldn't uh, be able to watch it before the record. I really want to see it. Um, for those who don't know, Control is um, a film, and you, I, I talked about it to, to some extent when we did our year-end right. uh, wrap-up because it was in my top ten of last year. Um, uh, it's a film about Ian Curtis, the uh, vocalist for the for Joy Division, right? Um, who, uh, you know, I don't know if this doesn't count as a spoiler because you can look it up. He kills himself at yeah. the end of the movie because that's the way the real Ian Curtis died. Right. <laughs> that's the way Joy Division actually ended. They didn't, they they didn't, didn't do like in, in excess and hold a reality show to replace <laughs> Michael Hutchins. Um, but, uh, and that's another film that is essentially, it's, it's, I mean, it's not, it's about a guy and two women. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them he loves very much. He uh, he gets married too early to one of them, and he loves her and has a kid with, with her, but then he goes out, he sees more of the world, and he meets another woman who's more worldly, and he loves her too. And he loves both these women for two different reasons, and he's, sens- he's, a, he's a sensitive person, he's got, uh, he's got some you know mental problems, uh, and then he's also in this ba- band that keeps getting more famous, and that's certainly exerting a lot of of pressure mm-hmm. on his life. But again, the story is really just about this guy and his struggle with the fact that he's in love with two women at the same time. And he happens to be a great musician. Yeah. Or, yeah, lyricist and singer. Right, right. Whatever. One way, <laughs> you know, you have to have some concept of what music is, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he definitely, uh, as he's painted in the film, it w- was a great lover of, of music. Right. So. Um,. Yeah, and I heard that uh, what's his name, Sam Riley. That is his name. Yeah, I heard that he does a, a wonderful job, and that uh, yeah, I f- I feel like that's what needs to happen to make a really solid bio uh, musical biopic. Is like we all know about the music, and but like this, you know, these people's lives certainly revolved around music, but they had other things as well. And chances are, the other things affected the music. You know, if yeah. anything, they should, you know, biopics show how the music affected their lives. And it's like, well, it, it, okay, it certainly did, but yeah, it goes the other way too. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure a guy being in love with two women in, you know, in different ways and doesn't know how to get out of the situation, I'm sure that will have an impact on the lyrics that he writes. Yeah. Um, and that's why, I, again, I, I don't, I haven't seen The Doors, so I don't know, but I think people who want to make music biopics should not be just looking to whatever artist they really like. Right. They should be finding out what artist has, uh, what artist's life is an interesting story that right. needs to be told. Right. You know, I, I, that's why I don't want to see, I mean, I'm trying to think, I mean, you know, a lot of people like the Eagles, but I have no desire yeah. to see like a Don Henley biopic, you know, like, I don't know. I, and maybe, maybe some Eagles fans will tell me he has a very interesting life, but well, I he's I love been taking I, it easy. Yeah, I love Tom you know? Waits. I love him. He's got that peaceful, easy, easy feeling. <laughs> uh, well done. Um, I yeah, I mean, I love Tom Waits, and I think, and like when I think of him as a as a person, I'm like, oh man, an actor, most notably Nick Nolte, would have a field day with this character. Uh-huh. But what is there in his life? Now he absolutely his wife like really like he like drank a lot and smoked a lot and just partied really hard and then his wife came along and kind of changed him and in doing so he wound up making some of the he made a huge musical transition uh-huh. into something that people had never heard before certainly not from him and uh and so you know that's an interesting story but like after that like i mean unless you want to focus on young tom waits that like that's what you're gonna have to do his life has been pretty drama free for the last 25 years you know and so aside from just the appeal and there is I think there is something of an appeal aside from the appeal of just seeing a good actor do a really great impression of somebody I'm whose mannerisms and stuff I'm familiar with like 
you know, aside from that, like, what what do I stand to gain from seeing a Tom Waits biopic? You know, if like if you're if you're gonna tell me a story I don't know or tell me something I don't know about uh, this person that I know a little bit about already, then by all means, that's fine. But if it's just gonna be a, per, a perfunctory like just a profile of them, it's like yeah, just to do something like do an Annie biography or yeah. something like that. But you know what? I want to talk about uh, the exception, which is when, unlike the Doors, okay, uh, a person's music, music alone just really is uh, almost world changing. Okay, uh, I'm thinking here of Bound for Glory, the movie about Woody Guthrie. Oh, I, uh, I haven't seen it. That uh, Hal Ashby made. Okay, um, we might eventually do a profile on Hal Ashby, which would be okay. easy because I haven't seen very many of his films. I don't I haven't seen any. Or at least I don't think You've so. Seen Being There, haven't you? Um, not all of it. I've oh, seen okay. like the first half hour of it. Uh, Harold and Maud. Still haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. you should see that. Yeah, that's what I hear. Pretty good. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and Bound for Glory is uh, it's I mean it's more it's more a movie that's sort of a it, it's very episodic, but it's sort of a a picture of the times, you know, that mm-hmm. he that he lived in, you know. Um, uh. It's sort of an honest way of looking at the bullshit that I'm not there was doing with the young black version of Bob Dylan. Oh yeah, let's we'll talk about that in a minute because I forgot I completely forgot about oh, it. Oh, we'll sorry. talk about how terrible I'm not there is. Okay, <laughs> um, and I don't have a lot to say about Bond for Glory except that it is the sort of exception. It's a it's a, it's a it's a movie worth making, and it's not really a very personal story, mm-hmm. but it's worth making because the music itself was so important. Yeah, and and inspired so many people. Okay. Yeah. Um, on and it's that, gorgeously photographed. On that note, the idea of the music being important, I will bring up what I would consider to be possibly the best musical biopic. I've not seen a lot, but I would say this one. I, I watched it. I finished watching it yesterday, and it blew me away. Okay. Selena. Oh, I've heard so many good things. I've never watched it. It is astounding. I completely thought it was going to be where because it was made two years after her death. You are yeah. not going to do a hard hitting movie about yeah. this woman when so many people are still mourning her. All right, and that's what I kept in mind. I'm like, well, I'm going to watch it. I expected it to be cheesy. I expected it to be overblown, ridiculous. It was great. That's what I hear. I mean, you know, it, you and I saw. Uh, a comedy show a few weeks ago in which Jonah Hill got up and talked about how much he loved Selena. Yeah, yeah. And, it's a very and, funny bit, but we don't, we don't need to yeah, recount the whole bit. Right, but, but what I will say is because because he was playing his love of it for comedy, I just that's the thing. I just assumed it would be cheesy, like, oh, Jonah Hill, why would he ever like Selena? That's ridiculous. It It's a movie that it really has everything that you and I have been talking about that's good. It uh-huh. has... A wonderful performance by Jennifer Lopez. Like, in watching it, I'm bummed out about what she has since become. Because between the one-two punch of that and then Out of Sight... Now, musically, she's kind of got her credibility back. But as far as movies and acting, that's pretty much gone. Decimated, Uh for the most part. But, um... Now, when you say credibility... Well, like she put out like a like a Spanish language. Yeah, she's album. Got, maybe she's got some of her popularity back. Maybe. Well, yeah. Okay. I don't know. That, yeah. Okay. Um, she's not getting eight point five reviews on Pitchfork. Fair enough. But at the very <laughs> least, you know, there's probably not a whole lot. I'm of... sorry. Pitchfork is not really an arbiter of what's good or not. I, I know. They just they seem to think they can dole out credibility. So okay. Um, but what I will say is, like, the idea... I'm doing the Todd Glass thing where I have to qualify everything I say. <laughs> Todd Glass is a comedian who does that, for those who don't know. Yeah, on a podcast called Comedy and Everything Else, um, which I listen to every week and punch my uh, car stereo uh, in uh, fury. But um, anyway, <laughs> so uh, that's a story for another time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for several reasons. Um, but yeah, I would say that, you know... Putting, down, putting out a Spanish-language album is probably not the best way to get a lot of money. Right. But it's what she wanted to do. It's something she felt she needed to do to kind of get back to her roots. So I respect that. That said, uh, the story of Selena, like, she had so many thing, obstacles to overcome. Like, she, was, she wasn't just Mexican. She wasn't American. She was a Mexican-American. And, and, this, and the movie really explains how difficult it is because... 
J- Edward James Almos, who does a fantastic Oscar-worthy job as her father. Shouldn't come as a surprise. Should not come as a surprise. But uh, truly amazing. The kind of thing where it's like, why is this... I know that he's on Battlestar Galactica, but it's like, why is did this guy stop being like a sought-after character actor? Because yeah. he's amazing in that. But did anyway. you ever see any of his... Uh, you haven't watched a lot of West Wing, but he was on West Wing on, no, a, on occasion? No, I yeah, very good. Yeah, and I love him in Stand and Deliver. He's just a really solid actor. But um, Stand and Deliver with Lou Diamond Phillips? That's right. We'll get there a little <laughs> later. But um, Will we? Well, oh, yeah, yeah, I would yeah, mention that he was in La Bamba, but okay. I haven't seen it in a long yeah, time. Um, talk about it, but. but like her father explains, it's like, yeah, uh, we can't speak English well enough for the Americans, and we can't speak Spanish well enough for the Mexicans. Everyone, like, we have to be double perfect because of what we happen to be. So there is that. Also, in the Spanish market, no woman has ever been as well paid as, an, as a male singer or as well respected. Uh-huh. And so she had that hurdle to go over. And she did all of them fairly effortlessly because she was just so damn charming. And she was just, I mean, she was 23 when she died. I mean, she just had so much. She'd won a Grammy. She just was well on her way to becoming a huge I mean a huge star I mean probably the biggest uh, uh, you know Hispanic uh, singer possibly ever like mm-hmm. at the time you know at this point it's probably like Gloria Estefan or, or something like that that was who she was looking to beat at the time right. not physically but um, <laughs> but you know why not um, but just uh, but so it just it's a movie that it ex- it shows that like she as a little girl, didn't really want to get into music, and her father pushed her into it. And it's a weird thing because you watch it and you're like, "Oh, that is not a good father." And then it turns out she loves it, you know. And uh-huh. it's like, "Oh, okay, that's weird. You don't hear about that very often." <laughs> yeah. And then she is inspired by it. She's inspired. She seems to have a true love of the fans. And but what's interesting is. So part of me is like, well, what flaw did she have? And she was not a very flawed person. She was very nice. But the one thing that, that got me was she became the number one star in Mexico. And yet her father still pretty much dominated her entire family. Like he would say something like she started dating and eventually married uh, her lead guitar player. And... um her father was very much against it, and he's like, hey, if you don't, if you guys don't break this off, I'm going to disband the group. And she saw this legitimate threat, like, oh, no, I, I have to stop dating this guy. Like, she just, it's kind, it's almost the same mentality as, like, David Helfgott in Shine, uh-huh. another musical biopic, I guess you could say, um, where it's like, d- you're Selena. You're the number one artist, male or female, in the country that you work out of. You don't need him to book you gigs. You're fine. Yeah. But she doesn't know that because that's just he has been the dominant force in her life. And and about and probably at the beginning of act at the end of act two, beginning of act three, she finally gets over that. And so, you know, it's a small flaw, but it's definitely there. And and the thing is, and the movie just it treats everything so respectfully. The relationship with her husband, I believe those scenes are so naturalistic between her and the actor's name is John Cena, I believe, who played, uh-huh. who I knew from one episode of Oz, episode number one, where he plays Dino Ortolani. Uh-huh. Gets burned alive, I believe. Um, but, uh, you know, it just, it, it understands that, like, for her, the relationship with her family and her fans, that's what it was all about. The music, of course, was wonderful, and, and the concert stuff in the film is great and it just and it plays the tragedy of her death so well it does not go she basically she was shot in the back by an employee of hers uh-huh. uh in a hotel room uh it never goes inside that hotel room all you see is news footage and you see the aftermath of their family and that it's the best way to do it because like i said two years after no one wants to see this depicted yeah uh so that I think is the it, it's one of the best biopics I've ever seen because it's so every almost every chance it has to do the wrong thing either by making her too flawed or too much of a saint it it never ceases to 
ground her in reality and make her just a real person that by the end of the film you feel like you know her and you mourn I mean I had freaking tears in my eyes at the end of the film and I'd never listened to uh, one second of Selena's music yeah. but by the end you really feel like you know her you really feel like you know what she's about it's a, it's a wonderful movie David you've got to see it I feel like that would almost be a good note to end on, except that uh, I've got a couple other movies I wanted to talk that's about. That's fine. That's fine. I know you, uh, and actually, I wanted to hear you uh, talk about the Glenn Miller story because I know you watched it. You didn't get. To I it. rented it, but I didn't get a chance to watch it. The, I, I thought I was going to. Gonna, watch it. I thought I was going to get a chance to watch it uh, today, but I got I had that film shoot and wound up going later than I thought. But um, well, then let's let's quickly talk about Shine, which you mentioned, which oh, is yeah. definitely it's not a rock biopic, no, uh, but it is definitely a musician biopic, yeah, uh, and it's really good. Yeah, it's um, go ahead because he's he wasn't an original. I mean, he didn't he wasn't a composer, right? You know, much in the same way that uh, you know, if you were just depicting simply a singer or something like that, but somebody who inspired a lot of people. I mean, Shine is one where I almost forgot about it as a musical biopic because it's so much the drama. It, it, so much the drama. I sounded like Tony Soprano just then. Uh-huh. It's always with the drama, but. Uh, but just the, you know, and that one, it's all about the relationship with his father. And, you know, this one is like the the ugly, you know, the bad side of the coin of Selena, where he was pushed into music and he wound up loving it and finding it liberating. But it also drove him insane uh-huh. because of the way his father pushed him into it, you know, and it's just, you know, but when he's playing the piano and he's really into it, you're into it with him. And uh, wonderful performance by Jeffrey Rush, of course, who won an Oscar for it. Yeah. Uh, and Armin Mueller-Stahl, who I think is an, a, an amazing actor. But uh, now you, I think you like Shine actually even more than I do. I know you you loved it. Yeah, it's not, I mean, I don't know that it's a very daring film, you know. Right. It's not really innovative or avant-garde. It sort of hits the notes of this kind of story, pretty right. much as you'd expect it to. But it hits them... You know, I'm not. I'm not trying to make puns with the notes thing, and he plays. Oh piano, yeah, yeah. But you know, it, it it hits every note perfectly. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, I, I I guess I love it more just from, pretty much purely from like a craftsmanship standpoint. It's yeah. It's a it's a good story, very well told. Yeah, I mean, it's I'd say it's like Selena in the sense that, yeah, you're not. It's not throwing you any curveballs. You yeah. know what you're gonna get, but it's so well done that you just you you savor every moment yeah, of it. You don't need the fucking. Uh, show off your fireworks of a piece of shit like I'm not there. If if you will. Um, <laughs> I said we were going to talk about it, but I don't know. What's there to say? It's a stupid fucking movie. Now, a lot of people love it, though. I mean, I, Lisa yeah. Schwartzbaum, who is a critic that I like from Entertainment Weekly, it was her favorite movie of the year last year. And yeah, I, you, I still and haven't you know seen it. I feel like, as a guy who said that my favorite movie of 2006 was In the Empire, mm-hmm. I can't talk shit about people like that. Like, it's such a pretentious movie. I could okay. be like, who, how could anyone love it? It's so, it's so pretentious. Anyone could say that about In the Empire. Okay. But I'm Not There is... It infuriates me. Much okay. in the same way... I was actually just talking about it with uh, my brothers in town. Uh, okay. right now. We were, he and I were just talking about it, because he was like, I didn't get that movie. He's not you know a movie guy the way I am. He was like... What was going on? What the hell was the point with that? Yeah. I'm like, no, you're, you know, you're not stupid. That's exactly the right, right response. And it's the movie. It reminds me of. Uh, I feel like I might have said this on the podcast before. Actually, uh, I'm sure I've said something uh, disparaging about on that there on, on the podcast. Before. You have, yes. Um, and I think I might have said this that it reminds me of the Passion of the Christ. Okay. In that, those are both movies that assume before the movie even starts that its audience is in love with its with its subject. Yeah. Which is a somewhat, which is kind of a fair assumption, but at the same time, like there there are people who like Dylan, like I like Bob Dylan, Me but too. then there are people who he might as well be Jesus. You yeah, know? I mean he's like a religion to some people, and uh, that I I I don't understand. Yeah, I don't need to see a movie made by those those people or for those people. But what's especially odd, and this is based on what you've told me, is it's for those people, but it also paints him as kind of a dick. Yes, it's it's exhausting. I mean, I, I I like the warts and all approach. Yeah, but it's it it's it goes again in this into this thing of of assuming that its audience already loves him because yeah. it makes no attempt to dis, to describe to you why why he was so great. You know, oh, when okay. you hear some of the songs, uh, some of the songs you don't. I mean, a lot of them you hear played by other people. Okay, uh, you know. Um, 
and uh, well, my, my morning jacket does a version of one of his songs that's in the movie that's actually really beautiful. Um, okay. I really like my morning jacket, uh, and I like Bob Dylan, so that was great. But I could just listen to the record, uh, right. either one of the records. Right. Uh, in this, in this case. If you went, if you watched that movie, not having ever heard Bob Dylan, the, the movie would absolutely not make you want to go listen to Bob Dylan. Yeah, that you would just walk out going, "What a fucking prick!" And what I've, and that's the thing is, I've heard that the best thing, you know, the best thing about it is Kate Blanchett. And from what I've heard, the Academy, when it came time to send out screeners of the film to push her for best supporting actress, uh-huh. it it basically sent out like a. Like a thirty, like a twenty or thirty minute film, uh-huh. and it was just all her stuff. Huh. And, it, and part of me is like, oh, I wish I could get my hands on that. Yeah. Um. But uh, but I kind of want to see it in general, just because of the interesting novelty. But uh, but I don't want to end on a negative note. Here's what I'll say. Well, I've got another movie. I want You've got to another movie. About. Okay. Yes. I, I don't. Uh, I mean, you kind of touched on this with uh, with with Walk the Line, uh, a movie about uh, a relationship between a male musician. In the Walk the Line, they're both musicians. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about, quickly, Sid and Nancy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is uh, the opposite of everything that I was talking about, hating about the sort of awards fodder-ness mm-hmm. of... Because, I mean, Sid Vicious is still not really... Uh, among certain people, he's well-liked. Yeah. Uh, among, uh, among the wrong people. Yeah. Because he, he's not someone you need to deify. Uh, he was... Uh, no. Yeah, he not a good person, but he represented. It, it's it, Alex Cox. I love him as a filmmaker. I fucking love Repo Man, and I oh, yeah. also love Sid and Nancy, because uh, he really understands. He understands the appeal of this kind of reckless punk rock. Okay, without like subscribing to it the way that. Uh, and I'll be perfectly honest. When I was, you know, twelve years old, and I first heard Sex Pistols or Crass or whatever, I, or Dead Kennedys, I was like, yeah. "Well, this is my worldview now." Yeah, and that's that's wrong. And thankfully, I grew out of it, like anyone should. Uh, sadly, some people don't. But a- Alex Cox understands. He's much. He views Sid Vicious the way I do. Someone that uh, is important to him, but uh, not respectable. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and he has made a really great movie that uh, re- that really threads that needle. You know, it uh, it it celebrates all the the great aspects of of punk rock while acknowledging the uh, the depths. Yeah, have you seen it? I still no, I have it oh, sitting on my table at home. Really, I, uh, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it. It's um, very good. All right, well, I'll bring up two more things real quickly because I don't have much to say about either one. Uh, the first is that uh, – so I, I've mentioned this before when we talked about parodies. Uh, Walk Hard, uh-huh. which is a, a movie that really – I mean, it's – John C. Riley does a great job. It's not that good of a movie. The songs are, are quite good. Uh-huh. And it starts out being a parody of all the conventions of the uh, musical biopic. You know, it's, it shows the guy's, you know, childhood and his, his – uh, father just keeps saying horrible things to him and he loses like his sense of smell or something like that um so you know it's all right but then you know it shows him getting involved in uh drugs and womanizing and stuff like that and only to of course uh he gets he you know he gets all that behind him with the love of a good woman and then he's old and he gets honored in some kind of way and that kind of thing and uh but what's interesting is by the end of the film there's not a lot of jokes Uh like it's almost like the movie started out trying to you know parody this type of film but by the end of it it has bought into the you know it has bought into the inherent drama and power of that story and by the end of it like the song he's singing it's like this isn't a funny song (laughs) And he is delivering it somewhat seriously. What what am I watching? You know, and just and and yeah, so it's it's interesting to see. But what I will say is a really I feel bad because like I started this off talking about how I don't really like the genre. There is an inherent you know, there is an inherent power in it to find out that like people that are great artists or big celebrities that they can go through a lot of crap, but the good ones turn the crap in their lives and make great art from it. You know what I mean? 
Uh, that's what that's the vibe I get from Walk the Line. It's the vibe I get from you know something like Selena. But as so, I'm going to try and go out on a positive note, and it's a biopic of a band that never existed. I'm talking about that thing you do. Oh, that's a gr- that's a great movie. Amazing. That movie is awesome. I mean, that's a, it's it's a movie that just I feel like not enough. It's it's like that movie's been around a while, and people still aren't talking about it the way they need to. Because yeah. especially as a directorial debut by Tom Hanks, who of course has pl- had plenty of experience in front of the camera, but nonetheless. It's, it hits every note so right. I mean, it's some people would say it's somewhat disposable, but it's, you know, it's like, it's almost a parody in the way that Walk, uh, walk Hard is because it understands these are the notes that I hit, but yeah. it, it's not making fun of them. But it also does another thing that I talked about in Ray, um, uh, is even though it's a band that never existed, you really feel it, the, the time, the periodness of it. Yeah. You're so immersed in it that you you start to see the world the way that that everyone else does. Oh yeah, in in this movie, even though you've got a more you know cont- obvious con- contemporary viewpoint, yeah, you lose that and you become you know it becomes 1959, 1960, whatever year it was supposed. Yeah, to Yeah, it was right. I, I think it was uh, mid 60s because okay. it was all about a band that is just one of the many bands that came about because they were trying to be the Beatles. Right. Um. Right. But. Uh, you know, and that's and that is, to me is like part of me is like I would love to see a biopic of a one-hit wonder, but honestly, how could it ever? Even if it's true, how could it be any better than that thing you do? Yeah, I mean, just the idea of just the band's rise and inevitable fall when it realizes, oh shoot, we can't just be playing this one thing the rest of our lives. Um, and it's just and it's so well acted, and it's just so you can just feel the love for the topic, but not not like trying to like overpraise it but just showing like this really was this really is a fascinating story granted these guys aren't real but they could be they could this could be any band from the six from any from any era there's plenty of one hit wonders out there you know but this was the era before a lot of them took a bunch of drugs um but uh yeah and and of course the music in that is absolutely wonderful i wish that band existed because their music was so good yeah, but, uh, well, I mean, that song was uh, written or at least co-written by what's his name from Fountains of Wayne. Who I never remember his name, but yeah, Adam Schlesinger is that? I think that's right. And then they did music for something else, music and lyrics. Music and lyrics, yeah. but he also co-wrote along with Adam Duritz a lot of the awesome songs for Josie and the Pussycats. Okay, uh, yeah, he's sort of he's a hired gun that way, and he oh, he del- he delivers. Yeah, he's a hired gun, but he always hits the target. And on that note, oh damn it, <laughs> I'm never going to get to this last thing. Okay, three minutes. Oh, man. Sorry, everybody. All right. Um, okay, so David and I have talked about critics we like and all that, and this is, this is a weird thing. I'm al- I'm almost, I almost get choked up when I talk about this. Okay. Uh, so Ebert and Roper is over, which means, of course, that Siskel and Ebert is over. Uh-huh. And that is, I mean, people have said, oh, it's the end of an era. It really is. They were around as long as I can remember. Uh-huh. They had a dynamic that I that you couldn't find on TV. They would champion films. I mean, people would like people who weren't film nerds would tune into Ebert and Roper. My dad watched. Uh, I'm sorry, Siskel and Ebert. Right. My dad watched Siskel and Ebert, and I watched it with him. And I just had I've got really strong memories of watching it with him. Yeah. And but just regular people would watch it, and and Siskel and Ebert, and eventually Roper realized that, and they would use the opportunity to champion films that people had never heard of. Like yeah. right up until the end, Roper kept Roper would keep, keep saying, "Go see the visitor." I know you haven't heard of it, but if you can see it, go see it. You know what I mean? And just like, and I just I love that that was their philosophy. You know, yeah. and the show is now over, and it's probably not going to be replaced by something even close to it philosophically. And and it bums me out. It really it had to happen. You know, yeah. and and Ebert and Roper have said that they're going to try and do a similar, you know, something similar a little bit down the line, but it's never going to be the same. And it's not the same show. You know, it's not that show. It's not so, and you know, so-and-so and so-and-so at the movies. It's nothing like that. And so it, you know, so I just wanted to, you know, mention it on our show because I feel like a lot of the, you know, a, a lot of shows, especially I'd say at this point podcasts, a lot of, two-person podcast with the back and forth, I think a lot of modern film criticism owes itself 
to that show. A lot of, I'd say, broadcast criticism uh-huh. in the sense, you know, podcasts as well, whatever. Yeah. Owes itself, owes a huge debt to Siskel, Ebert, and Roper. And I, yeah, I'm just really bummed out that the show is over. And that's, you know, I didn't have much to say, but I just yeah, wanted I, to express something. Yeah, and they they did manage to maintain, for the most part, and maintain credibility. Oh, yeah. Which a lot of television critics can't do. Yeah. I mean, as I've said before... Uh, Gene Shalit's not going to make or break a movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't no. mean that to sound like I'm shitting on the guy, but... Yeah. I mean, if they championed a film, I would probably go see it. And yeah. if they crapped on it, if both of them crapped on a film, I probably would not be that into it. But I mean... And any- it's telling that the, the theater in Chicago that's named after Gene Siskel is not, you know, not showing X-Files I want to believe. No. Uh, but it's not only showing obs- obscure... Yeah. artsy fartsy films like it just shows showing great good movies, movies great yeah. movies in fact so anyway i just wanted to bring that up because uh you know it was a huge part of my life and i don't know if i would be where i am now if not for that show as odd as that is to say so awesome. anyway thanks everybody for listening and uh we'll get you next time all right bye bye <laughs>